any parents have children ages four to seven and you want to dismiss them to stepping stones, you can do that now. <clears throat> Jesse was talking about going to church. I grew up attending church usually three times a week. Our Sunday would go, our church would go to, sorry, let me get this right. Our family would go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening for a prayer meeting and choir practice. Now, I went so often because my dad was the pastor. As a result, I heard many, many sermons. I heard many Bible lessons. And I remember thinking that the Jews of the Old Testament were so dumb because they messed up so much. And we've been going through the book of Malachi. In the book of Malachi, you certainly see them messing up. It wasn't until I was an adult that I began to realize how much I was like them, messed up. As we've seen over the last few weeks, the book of Malachi is filled with disputes as God calls his people to turn back to a right relationship with him. In calling them back, God highlights their faults. One of the reasons that God does this is because all of us, are either blind to our own faults or we see our faults, but we see them as smaller than they really are. For example, growing up, I knew I wasn't perfect, but I didn't think I was that bad. Certainly, I was a whole lot better than a bunch of other people. I thought that until God opened my eyes to see myself the way he sees me. And so when you think of that, you realize you see God's goodness in Malachi as he's calling them back, when you realize that anything, anything that interferes with our right relationship with God is a problem, including us, if we're the problem. So today's sermon finishes the text of Malachi, but we're still going to have two more sermons from Malachi looking at two topics from the book. So today, remain seated and let's read the text which is Malachi 3, verse 13, through chapter 4, verse 6. And let's read together from the screen. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge, or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Should, let's go to the next one. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. 
The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be as ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I command him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So in our verses today, Malachi records one final dispute, which takes the form of a statement, a dispute, and then the response. And so here is God's statement to the people. It was the first things we read. Your words have been hard against me. The people dispute God's statement with this question. How have we spoken against you? Now, there should be no surprise by now in our series that the people of Judah do not agree with God. They have disagreed with each of God's corrections. And so, again, when they ask this question, they are not looking for information. Okay, It's a form of denial. How have we? spoken against you. Well, God then tells the people the hard words that they have spoken. And we're not told this directly, but almost certainly they've said these kinds, these words to each other. They possibly even said them to God. And there are two questions, I'm sorry, two statements and a question. So they begin, and again, God is quoting the people. It is vain to serve God. In other words, they're saying, Serving God is useless. That's a pretty strong opinion. Then the question has two parts. First part, what is the profit of our keeping his charge? Or what is the profit of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So in the first half of the question, the people reveal their heart. They ask, what benefit do I get from serving God? And as you read into it, you can tell that their thought is, I'm not getting much at all. In the second half of the question, the people are basically saying that a life of obedience to God is a miserable life. Notice in the question, why? What profit is it for us to walk, that is, live like we're mourning or grieving? That's how they view their, their life with God, that it's a miserable life. Now, I believe that the people of Judah see themselves as in the right and God as failing them. They see themselves in the right, God is failing them. And I believe that for these people to hold that belief, the people of Judah must do four four things. First, they have to be blind to their own selfishness and disobedience. 
We've already talked about the circumstance they're in. They're trying to rebuild their nation after 70 years of exile. Why was the nation sent into exile for 70 years? It wasn't because they did one or two things wrong. It was because the nation had disobeyed God for hundreds of years. Secondly, they have to ignore God's patience and goodness. They have to take it for granted. Thirdly, they have to ignore their own limitations, and in particular, I'm thinking of what they know and don't know. I believe their opinion is, I know plenty enough to know what is really going on in this circumstance. And you find out they don't know enough. And then finally, they have to think too highly of themselves. Now, what I'm saying is not just about the people of Judah, but in other words, the people of Judah are just like us. It is so easy for us to minimize our own failings and disobedience. So easy to take all the good things we get from God for granted, to ignore our own limitations, and to think too highly of ourselves. One of the things that Dan talked about last week as he was giving a sermon on the Reformation, the gospel is good news. Good gospel is good news, and it is. That's what the word means. It's only good news if you also agree with God's bad news about us, about our need for good news. Third, the people said, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This sounds very much like the people's thoughts earlier in the book, in chapter 2, where they're asking, where is justice? And we looked at that a few weeks ago. Well, here's what I believe the people's words reveal. From the people's vantage point, they're looking at the wicked, and the wicked are prospering. In terms of a saying that I talked about a few weeks ago, good things were happening to bad people. The wicked seemed to be blessed by God, even though they disobeyed God. And the wicked are not being punished by God at least not yet. Well, just to remind you what that saying was, and we see it in the book of Job, we see it in Malachi, we see it in the New Testament, the evidence of this idea. And the saying was, bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. And so in Job, his friends are saying, look, Job, your life has just crumbled into pieces. You must have done something horrible. In the New Testament, the disciples are looking at the man born blind. Somebody must have done something wrong. And so you see this idea, and I believe that that the people in, in Malachi's day have accepted it and don't even realize what it is they've embraced. Now, the people of Judah are not wrong in identifying other people's wickedness. I talked about that a few weeks ago. They saw the nations around them. The nations did not honor God. They did not worship God. They did not even recognize him. And they knew that God had commanded not just the nation of Israel, but all people to honor him and to worship him. And here are these people that aren't in any shape or form. And some of them are prospering. Life seems to be so good for them. Well, 
those people that Malachi is writing to aren't the only ones that are good at spotting other people's wickedness. Okay? We can do the same thing. It's, it's something that just comes natural to us. But one of the things that I've tried to make clear is that they were blind to their own evil. They saw other people's wrongdoing. They didn't really see their own. And as a result, the people have again accused God. They've spoken poorly of God's character. And that's a very arrogant thing to do when you think about it. But you and I often can think and act as if God has failed us. For example, as we look at our society today, how many of us have asked the question, what is God doing? Now, there's two very different ways to ask that question. One is to ask the question, what is God doing? Because we want to understand. And we want to get in line with what God is doing. That's all wrapped up in the whole idea of praying, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. It's a whole other thing to say, to ask the question, what is God doing? You notice the difference. Okay? That's not really a question. That's an accusation. God, you're messing up. What are you doing here? You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I believe the people in Malachi's day were asking that question that way. They're accusing God. What are you doing? Now, pause with me for a second and ask yourself, why do the people of Judah think this way? Why do they think that God has failed them? Well, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the people's view of life was similar to that of the writer of Psalm 73. You got the people in Malachi's day, you got the writer of Psalm 73. Both of them saw the wicked being blessed while they're on this earth. Both of them struggled with their own life circumstances. So to kind of flesh this out, they're thinking, I'm I'm okay, I'm right with God, right enough, I should be having... You know, life should be good for me. And for those wicked people that aren't obeying God, life should be horrible for them. Why isn't it life seemed upside down? Now, here's the difference between the writer and the people. The difference is that the writer of Psalm 73 admitted his fault when he saw life from God's perspective. When he saw that God has an eternal perspective, and that God will give justice. So let me just paraphrase a little bit what the writer of Psalm 73 said. He said, oh my goodness. First he said, he talked about the situation. The wicked seem to be doing so good. Life is hard for me. What is going on? And then he says, oh my goodness, I almost spoke badly about God. I almost accused God of being wrong. But now I see. Now I see the the wicked from God's perspective. There's an eternity that comes after this life. And if the wicked continue all their lives to turn away from God and make fun of him and and, and ignore him, they're going to spend eternity being punished for their disobedience. And so he, once the writer of Psalm 73 sees this, he turns, does a 180, turns around. 
the people of Judah that Malachi is writing to, they have not admitted their faults. They think that their limited view of life is right and that the God of the universe messed up. Now, do you realize where that attitude must take you if you're going to be consistent? It must lead us to distrust God. And you see it for the first time in Genesis 3. You see this dynamic. God has spoken to Adam and Eve. Then there's the new speaker that comes on the scene, the serpent. And he challenges what God says. Did God really say? Did he really mean that? No, he didn't. And And the serpent, as much as says, God is holding out on you. And as soon as Adam and Eve believed the lie, if they're going to be consistent, they must distrust God. And if they distrust God, the only logical thing to do is not to disobey. Because they're, and they're thinking God is wrong. And I believe that's where the people of, in Malachi's day, the people of Judah are. And so they've spoken these hard words against God. And in beginning in verse 16, we see God's response. Well, first, first thing that God says, starting in verse 16, without using the word remnant, God identifies a group of people, with uh, a group within the people of Judah who still fear God, they still serve God, and still praise him. So what we find out is not everyone had turned away from God. There were still some people in the group in Judah that still loved God. And I want to talk about this word remnant for a minute because the idea of remnant is a theme that goes throughout the Bible. If If you're not familiar with the word in sowing and sometimes in construction, the remnant is the material that's left over after your project is done. In the Bible, a remnant is a small group of people that God preserves and works in. So let me give you a few examples. In Genesis, Noah and his family obeyed God and built the ark. And if you know the story, God told him to build the ark as a way to save them because he's going to destroy the world with a flood. In the New Testament, we find out Noah talked about why, and we're we're giving enough of a clue that we know it took him 100 to 120 years to build the ark. You sure couldn't miss it sitting in his backyard. It's humongous. Okay, they didn't even build buildings that big back then. And he told other people why he's building this. And I'm pretty sure he said, and you know what, there's room in there for you. But we know what happens. Everyone else rejected God, and we know that everyone else rejected God because nobody else got on the ark except for Noah and his family. Fast forward to the time when the people of Israel are in the land, of Canaan, to the time of the judges, when so many Jews did what was right in their own eyes, you have Boaz and Ruth that lived life God's way. And then what was recent history for the people that Malachi is writing to, during the Babylonian exile, you have Daniel and his three friends that faithfully followed God. And there are other examples in the New Testament. 
Now, to be clear, God did not look at Noah and go, oh my goodness, finally, I have somebody that's willing to listen to me. He didn't say that about Boaz. He didn't say that about Daniel. To be clear, nobody deserves to be a part of the remnant because we all naturally turn away from God. So to be chosen by God to be a part of the remnant is God's kindness and mercy to us. Well, in verse 17, God calls this remnant people his treasured possession. And in the New Testament, we find out how much God treasures the people that he adopts as his children by what it cost him to forgive us and adopt us, cost his own son. But then God goes on to say that he's going to spare the remnant. And when God uses the word spare, he's talking about judgment. And he he talks about judgment in chapter 4. But in verse 18, God says he's making a distinction between the righteous, the people I'm calling the remnant, and the wicked. He's making a distinction between the two. And Jesus speaks of this same type of distinction in the New Testament. And the distinction between righteous and wicked is not based on how religious a person is. It's not based on how many good deeds a person does. Last week in a sermon, Dan gave the example of, you can help every old lady cross the street that you ever see in your life, and that's not why you're going to be right with God. It isn't based on how religious we are. It is not based on our deeds. The distinction is based on our relationship with God. Well, that brings us to chapter 4, where God talks about judgment. And in verse 1, he says, the day is coming. And he says it twice. And then God refers to this judgment. He says, he talks about a fire in an oven. Now, Up until we had electricity or natural gas, you heated an oven by burning fuel like wood. They didn't have electricity or natural gas back then, so they got the picture immediately. Because God then says there's a fire in an oven, and he calls the wicked stubble. It's like dried grass. If you've ever burned dried grass, you know that it burns fast in a fire, and almost nothing is left over when it's it's burned. And this is a way of God saying that his judgment is going to be complete. But then he makes another contrast in verses 2 and 3. He says, for those people who fear God's name, that is, those people who love God, that same day of judgment will be a day of healing and righteousness and joy. Now, think with me for a second. Another Old Testament theme is covenant Whenever you hear the word covenant, I want you to think of covenant relationship. A covenant relationship is a committed relationship. And we see this phrase all the way through the Bible where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's what he wants for for, for us. So in verses 4 and 5, God mentions Moses and Elijah. And those names are pointers to the Old Testament law and the prophets. Well, the Old Testament law is where God says to you, my people, the law tells you how I want you to live. 
you're my people. I've brought you into relationship. The law tells you how I want you to live. And the Old Testament prophets are where God sends his representatives to say, you're drifting. You've turned away from my ways. You've turned away from your relationship with me. I'm, I'm calling you back to this relationship again. And so when, he, when God talks about Moses and Elijah in these verses, he's talking about his law and his prophets. He's talking about covenant relationship with them. And then in verse 5, God says he is sending Elijah. Now, God did not send Elijah literally. God would send John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah in about 400 years. And we know from the New Testament that John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. And Jesus' coming meant both rescue and judgment. Rescue in terms of a restored relationship with God. Because we all start as strangers, and worse than just strangers from God, we're enemies of God. Well, then God also ta- it also talks about judgment. And God tells us in the Bible that he will one day judge all of mankind. And when God judges us, every action... Every thought, every word, every motive will be evaluated and judged perfectly. Nothing will be hidden from God. Ultimate justice will be given. And that should be a scary thought. Because on our own, we would all be rightly condemned by a perfect holy God. Our only hope is Jesus' rescue which takes me to a thought that I did not put in the sermon notes, but like the teacher does, used to do at the front of the class, stomp their foot. I want you to get this. Over and over again in the Bible, you see God taking the initiative. God's taking the initiative here in Malachi. He's the one that prompted Malachi to write to the people as his representative. God is the one that took the initiative in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve disobeyed and they hid, he's the one went looking for them. God went looking for Abraham. Abraham wasn't looking for God. He was happy enough where he was. God went looking for him and said, I'm going to have this relationship not only with you, but with your descendants so that you have a whole nation. God is the one that sent Jesus. Jesus is the one who sent the Spirit. Over and over again, you see God taking the initiative, and he's still taking the initiative today with us. Let me close with two thoughts. First, there may seem to be right now in our current circumstances little distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. In fact, the wicked may be prospering, not just financially, but in power and in influence. And we're tempted to say, what is God doing? We're tempted to. Well, know this. God is not asleep. God is not powerless. Nothing happens that God does not allow. So let me turn it around the positive way. All that happens is a part of God's plan. The distinction may not be visible just right now that much, but it is real. And it will be revealed at the final judgment. So to paraphrase Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord and don't trust in your own understanding. 
Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in your own understanding. Secondly, I was reading Psalm 50 this week in my personal Bible study. And this psalm fits her verses from Malachi so well. In the psalm, God says, first, that he's going to judge all mankind. That's a parallel. Secondly, God says that he doesn't desire religious ritual for its own sake. In particular, he says, I don't need your sacrifices, the animal sacrifices. What God wants is true worship. He says, I don't, he doesn't need the sacrifices. They're for our benefit. They're to help us see what it takes to be made right with God. And then God says this to the readers of the song. You thought I was ignoring evil. You thought I was ignoring evil. And the answer is no. No, God is not ignoring it. And so what he does, he does like he does here in these verses, like he does all through the Bible. He says, turn. You need to turn and you need to change. In Bible terms, you need to repent. Why? Because we all turn from God. And it's his kindness that he, that he calls us back and says, you're drifting. You've turned away. You need to come back to who God is. You need to trust God, and you need to trust God to be God. As, as Jesse was saying before, I believe, in his comments, God is bigger than we are. If, if there's things that we, if we think we understand everything that God does, we got a problem because we have a very small God. There's so many things we don't understand. And so he calls us to trust him. It's a lot like your little two and three-year-old, once they start talking and can really ask the why question. Why, 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 why? Okay? It would be like the dance question, except it would just, instead of dance, 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 it would be why, why, why? You know, if you're the adult... There's all kinds of things that little three-year-old does not understand. And so the parents have to tell the children more than once, trust me. Trust me. And that's what God calls us to do. Well, let me finish, end. Ever had a pastor that said, I'm going to end, I'm going to end, I'm going to end, and he doesn't end? Well, I really am going to end now in just a minute. I want to look at two verses from Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15. And here God says this, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I want you to see there's three directives that God gives us. So instead of just putting off, here's a put on that God had for the people in Malachi's day and he has for us today. First one, thank God. And you see that where he says, offer a a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And when he talks about thanking God, what what it means is thank God every day, all through the day. Giving thanks is a little bit like a muscle. The more that we thank God, the more we will see things to thank God for. The more you use the muscle, the stronger it gets. So thank God. And remember that God gives us every good thing that we have. Secondly, He says, obey God. 
And we get that from his words, perform your vows. God is our rescuer, but he's also our king. And we are to obey our king. And what we see in scripture and we see in life is that God's way for us is the way of life. And so to disobey God leads to death and destruction. And every one of us, we have eyes to see it, can see that that is true. And then thirdly, ask for help. You see that when he says, call on me in the day of trouble. God's plans for our lives, all of our lives, include us living in a broken world where we will need to help ask God for help every day. But it is so easy to do with God like you see with that fire extinguisher in the corner. It's in a box, it's on the wall, and it's behind a piece of glass. There's a little hammer above it and a little sign that says, break in case of emergency. And it is so easy for you and I, if we're just following our own thoughts, to put God in a box with a little sign on the front that says, break the glass only in case of emergency. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to live life my way. And when everything starts falling apart, then I'll break the glass. And God says, no. Every day, he wants us to obey him, to thank him, and to ask for help. And the more that you and I do these three things, the more that we'll bring honor to God, and the more that we'll worship God. That's what the people in Malachi's day needed to hear, and that's what we need to hear. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for taking the initiative. We thank you for loving us first. We thank you for working in our lives, for giving us this truth, for confronting us where we need to be confronted, for rescuing us from ourselves, first from ourselves, and then from this broken world. Thank you for doing all of that. We ask that you would remind us every day to give you thanks, to obey you, and to ask for help. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's respond with a song. I'll invite you all to stand. And as we're talking about trusting and obeying God, we will close with trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a shadow, not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a drought nor a fear, not a sky nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. 
trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. But we never, but But we we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Amen. Please be seated. Now we come to our time of prayer requests. We have a couple. Um, first, um, prayer for all the people who are traveling or will be traveling soon. Also, um, prayer for the Lord to reveal His will to our pastors, elders, and deacons as they guide the har- as they guide Harvester and pray for all of us as a nation to repent and turn away from our sin and to ask the Lord to forgive us and to heal our land. And lastly, to continue to lift up um, W. PT community, uh, the WPT college community, uh, in prayer after a recent um, series of suicides on their campus, and to lift up all college campuses and their students. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, Father, I I thank you for for loving us, for caring for us, for um, providing for us in so many ways, Father. Father, I pray for for traveling mercies for all of those who are currently traveling either to or from their destinations right now, Father, or and those who will be traveling soon um, for Thanksgiving. Father, I also I, I lift up um, the leadership of our church, Father, that um, that we seek Your wisdom, Father, and that um, that I and the pastors and the elders and the deacons will guide. Um, 
this congregation um, as you give us wisdom, as you guide us, Father. Father, I also pray, um, Father, that you, you heal our land, Father, and that we will come before you not only um, in repentance, Father, but seeking forgiveness, and Father, that we pray that you would forgive us for this. Father, I also lift up, um, lift up this, this college, Father, and this college community of all of the students and the professors, Father, that um, as they deal with the grief of these recent suicides, Father, that you would, um, you would care for these students, you would care for the students' parents who have um, had their child um, taken from them, Father. And Father, I pray that you show them love, you, you show them protection, and that you show them your grace. Father, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a couple of announcements before we um, finish. Um, we'll be having Sunday school after after our worship service um, right now. Um, anyone who is in the pre-K through kindergarten Sunday school class, um, they'll be joining me in the second grade through fourth grade class um, today. Um, also, there is no life quest tonight. Um, but there are some events coming up very soon. Um, for those of you who, as you drove in, saw the sign, we are having our community movie night on Saturday, November 20th at 6.30 p.m. Um, we're gonna, where we're going to be showing the movie The One and Only Ivan. I really encourage you to invite your neighbors, invite your family, invite your friends. This movie night is free, um, though we will be sn- selling snacks, um, and all the, all the money collected from the snacks will be going towards the Lorton Community Action Center. So not only are we offering a movie to help um, join us together as a community, but helping the community in financial needs as well. Um, also, our Thanksgiving Eve service, which we started last year instead of having a Thanksgiving Day service, um, is Wednesday, November 24th at 7 p.m. So please put, mark your calendars for that. And we'll be doing the greening of the church on Sunday evening, November 28th at 4 p.m. Um, and we're going to be having a potluck dinner to go along with that. Um, there will be more details soon. Please stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift in his countenance towards you and give you peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go in peace.